Hello, this is Daryl here, sending love as always. Thank you for tuning in. I just want to say, if you like this interview, you can check our website for companion workbooks, action guides, tools, checklists, templates, and show notes with links for everything mentioned on the call. Just visit bestbusinesscoach.ca. That's best, B-E-S-T, businesscoach.ca. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Daryl Urbanski, and welcome to the Best Business Podcast. My mission is to help create 200 new multimillionaire business owners. How? You'll do better when you know better. In my interviews, you'll hear from self-made millionaires, seven-figure business owners, authors, and world-class experts sharing how they did it so you can too without experiencing the same obstacles they did. Now, if you like this interview, please share it with a friend you think will benefit. They'll appreciate it, and I will as well. You can also connect with me on social media. Look for Daryl Urbanski, D-A-R-Y-L, Urban Ski, U-R-B-A-N-S-K-I, and add me so we can be friends. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy what I've prepared for you right here, right now. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. My name is Daryl Urbanski, your host as always. And today we are joined by a friend and one of my esteemed mentors, whether he knows it or not, a man you should all know. And if you don't, you will soon, the one and only Brian Kurtz. Let me tell you a little bit about Brian. Brian has been a serial direct marketer for over 35 years. He's never met a medium he didn't like. And yes, he's had much success, which I'll tell you about in a minute. But he also admits to trying to sell subscriptions and books on the back of ATM receipts and under yogurt lids because it seemed like a good idea at the time. So after 34 years and many of them as VP of the company, Brian left his beloved and the world-famous boardroom in January 2015. Over 34 years, he mailed close to 2 billion, with a B, pieces of direct mail, and he did not lick every stamp, in case you were wondering. For those of you who don't know, direct mail is the godfather of what most of what works today in online marketing. It's just done digitally now. He was also responsible for the distribution of millions of other impressions and promotions in a wide variety of media, both offline and online, using the most innovative direct marketing techniques while working beside the most legendary copywriters and consultants who have ever lived in the history of the world, ever. Under Brian's marketing leadership, boardroom's revenues went from approximately $5 million in 1981 to a high of over $150 million in 2006. Brian was instrumental in building boardroom's print and electronic newsletters, including Bottom Line Personal, Bottom Line Health, Bottom Line Secrets, and Daily Health News, all which are now around 2 million subscribers. I want you to think about that the next time you're stuck in traffic. I want you to look around and think about how many people you can see in their cars and then close your eyes to try to imagine 2 million subscribers. Just just let that sink in. He was also responsible for selling tens of millions of books, mostly in health and finance, for consumers. His new mission for the next 35 years of his career is as the founder of Titans Marketing, LLC. He will be the bridge between the eternal truths of direct response marketing and all that is considered state-of-the-art in direct response today. In September 2014, to kick off that mission, Brian hosted an event I was fortunate enough to attend, an event many call the event of the decade, Titans of Direct Response. Titans brought together the greatest minds in direct response marketing from the last 50 years, both as speakers and attendees. Titans Mastermind is the next big step in that mission as the bridge. 
Now, Brian writes and speaks regularly. Recent content can be found at www.briankurtz.me, B-R-I-A-N-K-U-R-T-Z or Z dot M-E. But truth be told, Brian is really just a little league baseball umpire and does his direct marketing stuff on the side. His ultimate goal is to umpire in the Little League World Series in Williamsport while he's still upright, and he hopes it happens soon. Brian, thank you so, so much for joining us today. I value our every exchange, and I'm so grateful you're joining us again on my show. How are you doing, my friend? Thank you. Thanks for having me on again. I mean, I didn't know if I could get a second uh, gig on the on Daryl's <laughs> podcast, because I know your podcast is growing like crazy, and you've got a long line of people. So to uh, have me on a second time, I feel really honored. It's like it's like hosting Saturday Night Live for the second time. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you. It's a big compliment coming from someone with your stature and with your track record. Uh, Brian, I mean, you're just a good, yeah, I just, everybody loves you and everyone loves when you come around and you really do that eternal truce is a great way to cite that because it's not like, this is the other thing for people that are listening, you know, um, history tends to repeat itself. And there's something that like right now the the tactics have changed, but there's something where, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, the principles never change. The strategies sometimes change and the tactics frequently change. And after 34, 35 years of cutting your teeth, literally selling millions of things, um, and every in television and radio and print and online, I mean, there's a lot that can be learned. And I don't, and I know just from you, you're such a humble guy. Like sometimes you're like the hot girl that doesn't know she's hot. Like when you're in a room sometimes where it's like, everyone just is like grab holding on to your every word. And again, you're just like, you're a little league umpire. Like what? I'm just Brian. Like what's going on, man? So, um, yeah, no, it's an honor. So what pleasure. you're saying is, is, you know, the thing that popped into my head as you were talking was, you know, you're absolutely right. I mean, the tactics are changing. They're changing by the minute. Mm. I mean, so much due to technology. And I'm reminded of something that I just used in a speech recently uh, for some, some uh, more novice marketers. And what I was talking about was a very interesting concept. So maybe I'll just share this with you because I think your audience will yeah, enjoy it. Please do. But I think that, you know, there's a, there was always a rule of thumb in direct marketing, which I've been talking about quite a bit lately because all my clients seem to need to understand this, which is what's called the 40-40-20 rule. And what the 40-40-20 rule states in direct marketing or any marketing campaign is that the success of the campaign is generally dependent on... on the list and the audience that you select, 40% on the offer that you make to that audience, and then 20% on the creative or copy that you message to that audience Mm -hmm. with that offer. And what's interesting is that people interpret that as saying, oh, the creative is not as important, which is not true at all. It's just saying that, you know, the perfect creative to the wrong list with the wrong offer guarantees you no response. But, but but, But mediocre creative to a perfect audience for what you have to offer with a with an irresistible offer, you're going to make some money. And that's what happens a lot online with people who don't depend a lot on the creative. Mm. But if you put all those three things together, you know, you go through the roof. And the thing I wanted to mention is the is kind of a corollary that I heard to this recently, which kind of made me a little bit nauseous um, because it was basically someone online saying an online marketer saying that the 40-40-20 rule is dead. And look, the 40-40-20 rule is not an exact number. It could be 42-28, you know, whatever. It, it, doesn't, it, but, <laughs> right. but it doesn't really, but the concept I think is pretty sound. In fact, I'm going to do a blog post that's going to say when 41% is a majority, and people will think I'm talking about the U.S. elections, but 
what I'll be talking about is that 41% might be list and maybe only 39 is offered because the list might be the most important thing and I'll make a case for that. Mm. But this article that I read online said that no, the 40-40-20 rule is dead and we want to talk about the 25-25-25-25 rule. And I'm like, what the hell is this? So I'm reading and it says, well, the, tw- the new rule is it's 25% list, 25% offer, 25% creative, and 25% technology. And again, I'm not a Luddite. I'm not saying that technology is not critical. I'm not saying that we'd be nowhere with all of what we can do online today without technology and everything that we do offline because the offline moves to online. And so I, I believe in technology, but to talk about technology as being as important as list offer and creative really bugged me. Now, maybe I'm sounding like, you know, bitter grandpa here, but I just was really annoyed. And the reason why I was annoyed is that, you know, I, I remember the quote, and I have this in my new book, uh, it's a quote from Bill Burnback, and who was a great advertising man in, in the age of the Mad Men in, in the 60s and maybe even before in the 50s. And Bill Burnback had a quote that said, never adapt your technique to the idea, adapt your idea to the technique. So the concept here would be, you know, the marketer today falling in love with testing on Facebook, you know, and then fits whatever they have into Facebook, as opposed to having just a killer idea, a killer message, a killer, just total irresistible offer. And then say, you know what? I can make this work on Facebook. I can make this work in email marketing. I can make this work in display. I can make this work in direct mail. I can make this work on TV. Mm, so mm. I, I just I just want to emphasize that that you know don't don't ignore the, all the media that's available. I mean, advertising opportunities are now infinite, which is a wonderful time to be a marketer. But don't let the technology kind of be a shiny object. Mm-hmm. Uh, in lieu of getting the fundamentals and the basics right. So again, I know I probably sound no, like not, a not at all. Old I really, I, I really agree with that because it's the same thing. Like if you're trying to offer the world's greatest steak to someone who just finished a full course meal, it's not like you know the offer might be great, but the list is is off. You know, and Gary right. Halbert's famous. A lot of my listeners know. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Gary. That you know, he's got the whole thing of like, if I wanted to be successful running a burger joint and I was going to compete against you, you know, you could have everything which you want. What do you want? You know, and of course, what he says in the end, which trumps everything, is I want the starving crowd. And I think that's starving really crowd, yeah. hungry customers. Right. That's and that's so true. So I kind of agree. I understand like that technology might play a part in it, but in, you know, it's almost like when people are like, and maybe uh, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm going to agree with what you say, but I don't want to try and be yes man. But I honestly think that it's like when people talk about like having like having a great product as a given. Like when people talk about like you know if that was to say that that was part of it, like oh, forty percent is list, forty percent offer, twenty percent copy, twenty percent great product. Well, that's a given. Like you're not going to go anywhere if your product isn't great, and if you're not continually improving it based on feedback. Now, um, I've heard stories of kind of a you know diminishing ROI on how great it is versus whatever, but I really think that you can't go wrong, always continually trying to make your product better and better and better. But that being said, that's kind of like a given. Like that's a cost of doing business. That's not necessarily what's going to make or break what you're doing, I think. And so, um, at least yeah, I, it's, 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 it's not, yeah, it's not an either or. And again, I, I don't want this to, you know, be a conversation about, you know, ignore technology by any means. In no, fact, no. just the opposite, embrace it 
and use it to its fullest capacity. But, you know, the fundamentals and if look, you know, I'll be gone one day um, and, you know, there'll be other people that might be want to talk about fundamentals. But if I can leave something behind, it's that the stuff that has been forgotten. You know, I sat in a mastermind meeting once, you know, feeling very inferior. I mean, I I go to a lot of mastermind meetings with Internet marketers and people who know me well and know my background, you know, and you have that incredible introduction of me would think, you know, why would he ever feel insecure? And just like everybody else, I'm a human being. And so I go into a meeting where, you know, a mastermind meeting where everybody in the room, I think, is smarter than me. Everybody in the room is doing more online than I'll maybe ever do. And so I'm always like just sitting there being, you know, the, the consummate student and always trying to learn and then be able to teach based on the fundamentals that I know and then apply the new technology. But a couple of things. One is that, you know, someone in one of my masterminds once, I guess maybe I was doing a woe is me. You know, you guys are so smart. I wish I was as smart as you. And this woman looked at me and she didn't even know me that well, but she knew my background. And she said, you know, Brian, you have nothing. You have nothing else to prove. And I'm like, I looked at her and I'm like, what do you mean? And she goes, you know, you talk like you need to prove something. You don't need to prove anything. You need what 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 you what it seems like you really want to do is figure out what you've accumulated over 35 years and how it applies, you know, to, to what's happening today and create a one plus one equals three mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of where I get caught, look, we all get into, you know, bouts of so low self-esteem. And I think it's important for your listeners to hear that from me because you built me up so much in that in that introduction. But, you know, if you if you if you if you start reading your press clippings, I wrote a blog post about the biggest mistakes of my career. And, you know, one of them was based on the fact that I thought, you know, I, I had nailed direct response TV in a big way to the tune of, you know, two hundred million dollars plus. And then I thought I could do no wrong. And so I started, you know, just doing one uh, infomercial on TV after another, and it was one disaster after another. Mm-hmm. And when I make mistakes, they're millions of dollars at a time, you know, mm-hmm. in those days. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, so I, long way of saying that the idea is to put this all together and to be in the right rooms with people who have the widest variety of experience. So I always put myself in rooms, you know this because yep. we talked about it at Titans. You know, you're the smartest person in the room. You're in the wrong room. That's right. And so I live to be in those rooms. But you got to come and play big. Yep. You know, you got to come with what you got. You know, Jay mm-hmm. Abraham, his classic line. You know, get everything you can out of all you've got is one of his best book. Mm-hmm. And so you got to come to every meeting, every situation, every marketing project, every cons- consultation, every mastermind meeting. What are my assets? What do I have to deliver here? And how can those interact with all the other assets in the room? Yep. Not, the, not the assholes in the room, the assets in the room. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, I, I, I just want to emphasize that and, and this idea that, you know, going into a room, figuring out what you have to prove is going to basically set you back. And, um, I, you know, I, I, humility is one thing. Playing small is another you know, all these lessons are things that I've learned over the years that make sure that I get the most out of everybody in my life and they get the most out of me. Mm, mm, mm. 
And you've had, yeah, you definitely have a ton to offer. Now, based on even what you just said, the list, the offer, the copy, your background, like you started as a list guy. What are some of the fundamentals of, of like lists? Because even, you know, we both know Ben Simpkin. He, he came on here. You know, he's now up. I think he's like $1.4 billion worth of sales in Facebook advertising. He's an avid follower of yours. I think he might even be in your mastermind. And I just know that even when in his interview, he said, you know, Abraham Lincoln's quote, forgive me, I forget if it's six or seven hours. We'll go with seven. But he was like, if you know, if I had seven hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend six sharpening my axe. And Ben was saying, if I had seven hours to plan a marketing campaign, I would spend six of them focusing on the target market. Now, can you speak to that a little bit? I mean, you've that's you've been like that's how you got started, isn't it? Like you were just I don't yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I, I was I was in the list business in direct mail for the first ten years of my career. The board, the lists that I that were managed at Boardroom, we had lists of our subscribers and book buyers, which were in high demand. They were, you know, affluent direct mail buyers. So I was able to rent those lists to just about everybody, whether it's Money Magazine or Consumer Reports or Sharper Image Catalog back then or uh, uh, charitable fundraisers and everybody used my list. So I really learned the art of list segmentation at the base level, you know, how you select those lists for different customers. And as my career went on, I realized that, you know, everything is about list segmentation. And I can tell you to this day, you know, when I walk into a new client and they want to figure out, you know, this, you know, how how we do marketing at the highest level, how we uh, uh, message and offer to either our own lists or the lists that we rent or do affiliates on the outside if it's online. Um, The first thing that I talk about is you know, what segments do you have on that list? How can we, how can we decide what's on that list? I mean, the difference between, you know, a customer, there's been between a suspect, a prospect, a customer, a high ticket customer, um, a former customer, every one of those people, I just gave you five segments that are so basic Uh and every one of those segments need to be talked to differently. Right. So for example, you know, everybody's got a big list if they've been in business for a long time. And the people that have spent a lot of money with you deserve a way different messaging than the people who've spent less with you deserve a way different messaging than people who have been kicking the tires and not spent a dime with you versus the people that you got from some traffic source that you need to romance and develop a relationship with before you can sell them anything. Right. And so this idea that one size fits all create that goes back to the 40, 40, 20 when I said, just because the creative is the 20% doesn't mean it's less important. Right. What it means is it needs to be focused on based on the segmentation of your list and different messaging to different segments. And I got to tell you, the, a lot of the consulting assignments that I've gotten since I've left boardroom in the last year and a half started with getting the marketer out of the mindset that one message fits all to their list because mm. it was so easy. Email is so cheap. You know, yeah. direct mail was so expensive. So yeah. I always used to say, you know, how paying postage made me a better marketer. Yeah. And because we had to think about so much about what went into the mail before we sent anything yeah. because it would cost us a mint if we, if we blew it right in email, you can afford to just send a lot of stuff and think it's not costing you anything. But it is, because even if it's not costing you a lot in dollars, you send the wrong message to the wrong segment of your list, they're going to remember, and they're not going to respond next time. So so I think that thinking about every message to every segment of your list 
could be the most important thing you do. And it's look, you look at it in every online launch. I mean, look at the affiliates, you know, with the affiliate world, which I'm not a big part of, but I watch it very closely. You know, if you're an affiliate, Daryl, for, you know, a new offer, how you present that offer to what segment of your list. I mean, why would you want to sell an offer for, you know, a membership piece of software to a bunch of people on your list who, you know, can barely pay the rent, yeah. for example. Yeah. It's a very stupid example, but a simple no, one. No, no, it's a good one because they don't have any money. And, yeah, if they don't have any money, it's like, you know, you should be just be working on getting them your podcast and getting them yep. uh, information and getting them um, uh, teaching and learning so they can get to that next level as opposed to hitting them with a $2,000 software product. So yeah. I... I you know, that there, there's something I call congruent marketing that I'm really passionate about. And it's all about that you really need to be congruent. And so, you know, the story I told, I believe, in a recent blog was someone who had a list who was kind of in a woo-woo, you know, personal development area. <laughs> okay. So when they sold stuff to that, so they were giving, you know, daily uh, motivation and all that kind of stuff to their list. And so... Obviously, things they could sell to that list would be a yoga program, meditation program, things that seem consistent with the kind of people that was on what were on the list. And I remember the story goes that there was one offer that they sold to this list that was like a real estate investing offer, a good offer, not a, not an illegal offer of any means. But you can see the disconnect right away. You know, you got this audience that probably thinks that marketing is sort of evil, even though it's not. Um, but to sell them a, a program to how to flip houses and make money when you're selling them mostly meditation, thoughtfulness, you know, um, uh, yoga, exercise, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And apparently, I don't know what the number was, unsubscribes when they got one offer to that list, but wrong offer to the wrong list, you know, after you've spent years building a, yep. a tribe and building an audience that loves you. You yeah. can you can throw it away in a heartbeat. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I I fully agree. In fact, Brian, I want to check this with you because what you just list off is those lists. I you know I want to because I've been I, I literally just had a good conversation about the different lists in a business, and I feel like in at least in the online world, especially because there's a lot of stuff. Like take for example this interview. This interview is going to go out there. There's going to be a list of people that listen to it that know you, but you don't really know them. And I call that the unknown universe. So you kind of got mm -hmm. like the unknown universe, and then your social media and all that stuff. Maybe someone will reach out and they'll find you and they'll follow you on Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, right? Pinterest, whatever. And then they become kind of your known universe. You kind of know they exist. But on those platforms, you can't do a lot with those contacts. I mean, you can post on your Facebook wall. You know, you can do some stuff, but it's not the same as if you have their email or their snail mail address. And then you have your lead list people who have opted into something, who have signed up for some sort of free thing, who filled out some sort of quote request form, some sort of like now they've given you their contact info so you can have a conversation. Then you've got your buyers list, the people that you've had generate uh, or, or, you know, purchase something from you, at least one thing. You said your your high value customer, I, I call it a multi-buyer list. Then you have your lost customers and your unsubscribe list. Is that, would that be a pretty comp comprehensive list or are we even, like do you even suggest that even sub-segment those lists like at what point is are you segmenting too much can you segment you know, too I much? Guess a lot yeah that's a great question daryl because i i do spend time you know it, 
you know, people who have a very small list in the hundreds, you don't want to over segment that list. But I'll say that, you know, I had a client that didn't have a big list at all, but we were able to get a segment out of their list that were people who who were, you know, inquiries versus buyers. And because the buyers were people who spent between 20000 and 75000 um, it made me think that there are other people with lists that, you know, I certainly want to talk to people. I mean, I think there are breaking points within the buyer file based on what they bought and how much they spent. So let me just do this. I mean, I think that anybody who doesn't know the RFM formula of direct marketing who's listening should probably just know it. And I think some stuff will come into their head about how they should be thinking about segmenting their list and and not get caught up with whether it's too many segments or too few, but rather, you know, what makes sense in terms of how I should speak to these audiences. So the RFM formula in direct marketing, which is basically a rule of thumb, which is R is recency, F is frequency, and M is monetary. So what that means is that, you know, someone who responded more recently, a buyer or someone who raised their hand in the last three months is probably more valuable than someone who did it in the last six months. So that's recency. Uh, frequency is someone who did it more than once in a short period of time. Now, if they're buyers, a recent buyer is better than a non-recent buyer. And a frequent buyer, someone who bought multiple times, is worth more than a recent buyer. Mm. And then the third, monetary is how much they spend. What's their total spend? So if you can keep track on your list of all of that data of when they respond, when they buy, you know, so you can always know how recently they're interacting with you, how often they interact with you, the frequency, and also how much, how many times they bought, and then the monetary, what their total spend is, you can see that the idea of having a segment that says someone who responded in the last three months or six months responded more than once and spent more than X dollars based on the price point of your product could be your VIP list, for example. And so then you go down from there and you start seeing what buckets you can create without over-segmenting, as you were kind of hinting at. Um, and it, it depends on the size of the list. Now, a lot of this, when you have a huge list, and we had a list, a database of 9 million names. So with 9 million names, we would do this all through statistical modeling. So I didn't, I wasn't sitting there hand-picking, you know, doing it through you know, some kind of simple software. Like Excel, this was going Excel through, spreadsheet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, major. It was beyond a spreadsheet. This was like, you know, I'm not a statistician. I was an English major. So I don't know squat about statistics, but I hired a statistician to do all this. And they were able to create those buckets and to create the likelihood of future response based on past response. That is another rule of thumb in direct marketing, which is, you know, the most likely, obviously the most likely buyer is the previous buyer. And so, you know, the idea that, you know, you've got to really segment your list based on their, their, their trends, we call it the transaction data. You know, people get fall in love with demographic data. You know, I want to, I want to overlay all this data on my list. You know what? The most important thing is the transaction data, what they did with you, how they responded, how they behaved, how they bought. You can put demographic data on it. I mean, if you have a product just for women, you want to create a, you know, a, a female select and if they only are people for over 50 years old, you want to have that demographic data as well. However, the transaction data is always going to dictate where you go and you know where the puck's going to be as opposed to where the puck is. 
mm. using the Wayne Gretzky quote. So I think that, you know, in terms of segmentation, you know, it's really, really important to segment, you know, based on recency, frequency, monetary, based on really understanding the behavior of your list. And I'll throw one more little thing in, which most people don't understand, although people who are in the know in direct marketing do, is that your best list is always your ex-buyers list. Right. So this idea that once a customer leaves you, that they're no longer valuable. Now, if they leave you in a huff because they hate you, well, it's a different story, but even those people can be saved. I wrote a, uh, <laughs> I wrote a blog post just last week called The Return on Returns, mm. and it was all about you know, that expires are your best list, that, that you know, the previous customer are, you know, most people leave you as a customer because of time or money. They either don't have time to, to, to continue to digest your product or service, or it's too expensive. And so, you know, to bring them back, I mean, maybe they don't have money and maybe they don't have time still when you try to bring them back. But when you do bring them back, you bring them back as family. You don't bring right. them back as a new customer. Right. You bring them back as we want you back. You know, we miss you as part of our family. You yeah. know, the messaging is so much about, you know, this is what you've missed since you've been gone. We'd like to give you everything that you missed. You know, I'll give an example. You, know, you could give a book or a special report of the last year's greatest hits if you have yeah. an information product and you give that as the premium to get them back in. This is what you missed. I know you probably might have been overwhelmed when you were subscribing, but I want to give you the special report. It gives you the highlights and come on back in. Be part of the family again. You know, I'm using that as a, you know, just yeah, one that's, simple example. That's a huge gem. It's, it's just a great tip. Here's what you missed. And here I want to give you the best of the best and, you know, get you caught up and get you back to speed. Again, it's, you know, it's so funny because I've actually hired some family recently, my little cousins, for little jobs, nothing much. But part of why I'm doing it is because, and even, uh, you know, I've, I've mentioned a couple times like a nonprofit I've started here. And it's, it's funny because when I look at that, I look at it like just from such a deep level of empathy and like really wanting people to be successful and having it in bite size pieces that they can grasp easily but you right. know like you know and it's just been such a great thing so i just love like again just how you talk about you're bringing them back as family because you're acknowledging that there's a relationship there like you you know the owner or the marketer might be so busy in their own day they're just dealing with ones and zeros but the reality is there's a real human on the other side of that on the other end of that and you need to speak to them that way um, I just love, yeah, it's just, that's a great tip. That's a huge tip. So, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I think a lot of people get it. I mean, maybe, you know, a lot of people listening and going, Oh, I knew that already, no, but, no, no. You know, but expires, expires, looking at your expires or your previous customers as actually maybe your best list is, is a really important concept. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I hope people listening to this are taking notes. I've got like a couple of pages already. I love this. So um, let's talk about your book. You got a book coming out. You've obviously got the goods. You've got a ton and a wealth of knowledge. Now you didn't make this stuff up on your own, did you? I mean, you didn't. Weren't didn't come out your mom like some little you know, direct marketing genius, were you? You you had mentors and people you yeah. studied under. Yeah, you thrown thrown a nice softball at me. Yeah, you know. You want you you we're all on the shoulders of giants, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like to spend. A lot of people say I give everybody else too much credit for what I know, but I have to give a lot of people credit for what I know because I've been a student my entire life. And the interesting thing, um, how I got involved with this book that's coming out, it it wouldn't have been the first book I would have done because the first book I was going to do was I thought kind of my not my memoirs, but all of the stories of my in the 
you know, my stories in the marketing wars. You know, right. I, I always love quote from Winston Churchill. You know, there's nothing more exhilarating than being shot at without a result. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, I was in the marketing wars for a long time and I was shot out without result because I survived, lost a lot of money, made a lot of money. Um, so that was the book I thought I would do. But I was approached by Craig Simpson, who wrote a book years ago called The Direct Mail Solution. And it was a great book on like a primer on, on how to do direct mail. And he came to me and said, I'm working on a new book called The Advertising Solution, which I think is right in your sweet spot, Brian. And, you know, even though I've written a lot of it already, I think I want to bring you in as a collaborator. Um, here's the here's the manuscript I have so far. Would you like to be a part of it? Now, I didn't know I was that was coming. So it came down the pike. And I started looking at this manuscript. Although it's not written in my personal style, it's in Craig's style, I was able to then say, yeah, I want to be part of this. And then I ended up editing the entire book. And what the book, even though I don't like the title, I mean, the advertising solution sounds a little old fashioned and stodgy. But why I love the title is that advertising is the term we used to use as sort of the the anti-marketing, the anti-direct marketing. You know, advertising, general advertising was you know, advertising for branding and image and all of that, but who the hell knew if it was working or not? Right. And direct marketing was measurable advertising, making yep. sure that everything that we did was measurable and that had a return on investment and that if you spent a dollar on media, you made a dollar in media at least initially or soon, and you made more than a dollar in media over the lifetime. Right. So when I saw the title, I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do be part of a book that's called The Advertising Solution. And then when I saw what the book was about, where it was actually a profile of six legends of people that were kind of associated with advertising, but actually what they were, were legends who understood accountable advertising even before direct marketing was ever you know, invented. Uh -huh. um, so that's what got me excited. And so it was then you know, completely consistent with my mission as the bridge to take the fundamentals of direct marketing, which actually resided in these six legends, books and writings and ads that were more quote unquote general advertising, but you could see how they were approaching it, that they wanted a response. They wanted to be able to have a metric called, did this advertising work or didn't, it did not work. And so that's exciting to me. And so the six people profiled in this book are all just household names to me. Uh, they may not be household names to all of the listeners here, but some of them, if they follow you, they're going to know many of them. And the six are, are, are Eugene Schwartz, who um, you know was one of my mentors. He's the only one of the six that I knew personally and was a personal mentor of mine. Uh, Gary Halbert, who you've already mentioned in this interview who was, in some people's minds, the godfather of copywriting. Claude Hopkins, um, who wrote the book Scientific Advertising, which, uh, other than Breakthrough Advertising, which is the book by Gene Schwartz, Scientific Advertising is the second book I recommend to anybody getting into marketing, even today. And just FYI, that book was written in 1923, uh, and it has not been updated. So he wrote a book called Scientific Advertising when there was no science, right? Um, and so then the fourth, so, so it's uh, Schwartz, Halbert, Hopkins, the fourth 
legend is John Caples, who wrote the book um, Tested Advertising Methods. Yeah. So he was sort of the father of testing. You know, in a lot of ways, Gene Schwartz was, you know, the father of, you know, how we adapt our copy to and and relate to human behavior. You know, uh-huh. um, Halbert was, you know, maybe the father of copywriting. Hopkins was the, you know, the father of of adding science to all we do, and also that great advertising is not brilliant writing. It just needs to be natural and simple, and it has to work. Uh-huh. Uh, Caples. Uh-huh is probably the father of testing um, and, and his book proved that tested advertising method. Um, the, so the fifth uh, um, legend is Robert Collier, who might be the father of the sales letter mm-hmm. um, because he wrote the book called the Collier letter book. Yeah. And I think I mentioned in our pre-call that I said, the book's kind of a snooze actually, it is. but an incredibly important book and one that, you know, I think if you're not going to read it, read our book. So at least you get the greatest hits of Collier. And the other thing Collier did, he was kind of the father of showmanship in your copy. And so much of what goes on today in terms of people who do three-dimensional mailings and things like that have a lot to look at when they look at what Collier talked about in terms of the things that he was teaching. I mean, this is a guy that lived between the years of 1885 and 1950. And yet, you know, he knew more about how to create showmanship in your advertising than anybody you know I, I have ever in the history of advertising. And then the last legend in the book is David Ogilvy, um, who, you know, was all about the big idea. And I always say David Ogilvy was about, he was sort of the direct marketer trapped in a general advertiser's body. And <laughs> it might be the father of direct marketing. You know, back then all the ad agencies were, you know, the, in the days of the mad, of mad men, you know, there was nothing about direct marketing. And as I recall, I don't know if he was the first, but he was close to take Ogilvy and Mather direct and make mm-hmm. Ogilvy, Ogilvy and Mather advertising and make it Ogilvy direct and had a direct marketing division of a general advertising agency. So, you know, those are the six guys we're profiling in this book. Um, the things that they taught me by reading all, I mean, they all wrote books, they all wrote ads, they are all just um, people that I learned from. And I, I have a lot of other mentors besides these six. But, you know, considering that five of us, I, I mean, I met Halbert, Schwartz was a mentor, never met the other four. And yet I consider all six major influencers on everything that I do in marketing today. And so the beauty of the book is that it becomes almost like that kind of book you could keep by your desk next to the thesaurus of the dictionary because there are checklists in the book for what every headline should have. You know, I think that's in the Halbert chapter. I think there's a list of everything that should be in your sales letter. I think that's in the Collier piece. So there's so many things, you know, what Gene Schwartz did to make sure that his copy was perfect for the audience. And there's so much about that uh, in the book, you know, how Halbert, you know, really analyze the starving crowd, as you talked about. Mm-hmm. So I think having a book like this, I mean, I look, you know, I'm not going to get rich selling books. Um, I just want this book to get out there. And I'm so glad that Craig brought me in on the project. And then what I did was I said, you know, Craig, the book just doesn't have enough of the work of these six guys because we didn't we didn't have enough time or or space to do a a swipe file, I, as I would call it, 
of all the greatest ads that these six men were responsible for. So I said, Craig, let's create a bonus package and let people buy the book through our site. You know, they go to our site, they, they hit a button, they go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble or wherever they want to buy the book. And they come back to our site. And after they show us a receipt that they bought the book, we just load them up with an incredible swipe file of awesome. everything from these six legends. We also have some rare videos of Halbert, um, Schwartz, and Ogilvy that they can get on, on the resource page. And then I'm also going to give them, uh, anybody who buys the book through us, um, the annotated and illustrated version of scientific advertising by Claude Hopkins, which is a really cool full book, annotated and illustrated, and you know, courtesy of my friend Bob Lai, and they can download that entire PDF. It'll be like a book for their reference library forever, um, and all of that is on this resource page that we put together. So I just think it's just an incredible book, and then. I wanted to make it so much more. And that's why, you know, going on on interviews like this with audiences that you have who really should get their hands on this information. Um, I just think it's priceless stuff. And yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm salivating right now. I, I if I could ever give a direct order to anyone listening, I think that honestly, this is this is well worth their time, because as I mentioned to you even before this call that, you know, one of my earliest mentors was Ken McCarthy. And one of the things that I was grateful for was that he had me go back and read all these classics. You go through all these guys. I've read all their books. And I'm so grateful for that because now I've talked to people today and it's like they some people look at me like I'm a genius. And I'm like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. This stuff has been working for years, but nobody's right. reading the old classics. I mean, you talked about Robert Collier letter book. It is a great swipe file book, but it is a massive book. It is tiny print. It is old English in a lot of respects. But so you got, you know, it's almost like a research project to pull the nuggets and the nuggets are there and so for you guys to have gone through and to pull gems from these guys like for the for the whatever you're going to charge the 10 bucks the 20 bucks the 30 bucks i think the book is like i don't know i think i don't know what i think it's going to be like on amazon i think i saw there's a pre-order page i think I think it's like 17 something. Or yeah, it's peanuts. Or, I don't it's know. peanuts it's crazy. for 80 years yeah. times six plus your and Craig's influence on that. I mean, that's just like it's almost a thousand years of the highest level uh, performance and experience in the trenches doing this stuff with checklists and action items. It's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's, so it's called the yeah, advertising. So I, I, yeah. I would just highly recommend if they want, if anybody is listening, wants to go all they have to do is go to the site we put up it's called the legendsbook.com www.thelegendsbook.com and they go to that site um you know they can go uh click buy the book you know it does, opens up a new window buy the book come back get all of these resources from Craig and I um I just think it's a wonderful thing you know I think that it's that's why I want to get out to as many people as possible to buy the book that way. I don't really make anything on the book. I just want people to get a hold of all this information because, you know, they'll, then they could be part of my tribe, my list. I mean, look, I'm a list builder, just like you. So, yeah. Yeah. um, I want people to be on my list, reading my blog, reading the tips that I'll be sending over the years about these legends that go further than what even we're giving away now. So if they go to the legendsbook.com, you know, they'll have a great opportunity 
to both buy the book and get all of those bonuses. And thank you for, you know, bringing up Ken McCarthy, who is also one of my mentors. He was one of the speakers at Titans. And, you know, he is one of those people like Jay Abraham, like Gary Bensavanga, all the people, Dan Kennedy, all these people who spoke at my event, who, you know, drill into my head that, you know, you just can't know it all. And what's happened before we can we can accumulate this wisdom and then apply it. It's just it's just the best way to go about. And again, I don't think there's a better time ever in the history of the world to be a marketer. But why not jump into the this incredible world of marketing with the most assets and equipment and toolkit, whatever whatever metaphor you want to use that you can get. And a lot of it comes from you know, legends like these six guys. Yeah, no, that's that's huge. And uh, some of my listeners may know I've been coming back and forth from the Philippines. There's a nonprofit that I've been involved in um, that I've actually named the One Book Foundation. One Book Can Change a Life Foundation because mm. one book can change a life. I have experienced that myself. And the concept is to – there's a bunch to it. And I'm not going to go in because this isn't an interview about my nonprofit. But one of the parts of this nonprofit is making sure that these people get certain books with certain ed- type of education into their hands because it could change their life for where they're at. And uh, this is just the perfect offer for, I mean, we talk about list and offer and copy. I mean, this is people yeah. listening to this show. I mean, I'm sorry guys, I'm, but you, as, as a, as a, as a dear friend, you, you need to know the lessons in this book. I haven't even seen it, but I, I do know each of these experts and Brian, just to have been like, to have known and studied under Eugene is just such a blessing. Like he was so fun. I mean, it's almost like a no wonder. Like when you look at the people you've studied under and, and, you know, and even, and, and even Dick Benson and the people that you got to like rub elbows with and work beside in your career. I mean, it's almost like a, like, no wonder he's got 2 million, you know, paying subscribers, like, because it's just, it's, there's not a, there's no, a lot of this stuff, there's no bean counter in the sky that's going to determine how much money someone can or can't make, or someone who's predetermined how big your business can grow. A lot of this stuff is literally just like, it's like plumbing. Like if, you know, it's like electrical wiring in your house. If you wire the building like this, if you connect these types of pipes to the main line outside your house and run it through and then set up a tap like this with a hot and a cold, you'll have a, you'll have a sink. And a lot of this stuff, it's literally, I mean, I don't want to say it's, it's going to be like overnight success, but it literally is that simple that if you, you know, ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance is pain and suffering and failure. And if you just know this stuff, you can avoid that and even, you know, and, and just be free to jump and I mean, even like you, you're jumping in and out of business, helping people grow their businesses, make more money. And, and that's even why I started this podcast, because of these types of books that I've personally read and the, the value I've been able to give to people. You just want to help people. You know, you just like, like, hey, I just want you to know, even like you said, I just want to get this information out there because it could change your life. And um, a book, I've always said a book is such a great investment because, again, for like 20 bucks, you can access almost a thousand, a thousand yeah. years of the highest level experience. Um, yeah, let me um, let me just tell a couple quick, if you have a couple of minutes, just a couple of things about Gene Schwartz. So, you know, he wrote a book called Breakthrough Advertising. Talk about a book. I mean, the book was written in 1966. Not one word has been changed from the original. I own the rights to it currently, hoping to get the rights for the next 15 years and then create a course around the book as well as one of my dreams. But the book is again. 1966, not one word has changed, 100% relevant today. So that tells me that's not a book about 
copywriting in 1966. It's not a book about creative in 1966. It's a book about human behavior and probably the most important book written about that. So, you know, the kinds of things I learned from Gene, you know, he was um, an amazing man. I mean, you, you talk about someone who wrote great copy, had his own business, taught an understanding the value of lists. So I wrote a blog post, uh, which was called It's Not Always About the Money. And it was all about Gene, how what Gene Schwartz decided to do, he had such a talent for copywriting, and he was able to write packages for me at Boardroom, for Rodale Press, for all the great health publishers. And yet he had this other little business on the side that was his own little health publishing company, little books that he did. So how is he going to get to mail the Boardroom Health List, the Rodale Health List, all the best book buyer lists in the world? He actually, instead of getting paid cash to write copy for us, he would exchange his copy for names. So he would write um, a full-blown package for me for a health book. And then in exchange, I would give him 750,000 names from my database of book buyers, health book buyers, that he could use for his little business called Instant Improvement. And so basically, Gene knew that instead of having me pay him $20,000 to write a package or a promotion, it was better for him to get the 750,000 names that he then mailed for his books, created his list, did yeah. cross-sell and upsell to his list, yeah. Yeah. rented his list. Do you think he made more than $20,000 doing that? Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. yeah, so <laughs> I was just – that is such forward thinking on someone's part. And the fact that he was a copywriter and understood lists like that just gives you an indication of why I want to do the blog post called "Why When 41% is a Majority, right? Right. So, um, so, and the thing about Gene also is that he read everything. So what goes around comes around. We're talking about reading his book and reading all these great books. Gene's library took up an entire room in his, in his, in his sprawling Park Avenue apartment. And the guy read everything. He read he read fiction, he read nonfiction, he read business books, he read finance books, he read health books, and he read the National Enquirer. You know, he read everything so that he was so well read about about culture, about what was going on in the world, and that's what made him an amazing copywriter. The power of reading for a world-class copywriter can't be understated. The power of reading to be a world-class marketer, as you and I are talking about it for our careers, can't be under understated either. Yeah, 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 yeah. I've got lots of stories about Gene. Many of them are in the book. I know. I mean, with the Titans, you gave out some uh, interview, uh, like a seminar that Gene did, and it, I was so captivated by it. He talked about how he would sit down at his desk and he would work for 33 minutes and 33 seconds, and he's like, Yeah, he, he had an eight yeah, yeah, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't. He didn't move. Yeah, he's like, sometimes I, you know, I sit down. I didn't feel like writing copies, so I, you know, I'd play around with my pencil and I'd move my my, you know, my my ruler over here. And he's like, and then I'd be like, you know, maybe I'll just I'll get started. I'll just do two minutes of something. You know, it's like next thing you know, he'd go. Like he had a system for everything. He thought entrepreneurs should have three projects going at any time because we're too preoccupied with just you know like that shiny object syndrome. So it's important for us to have things that we can share ideas between. And that's part of why I love client work is because I love like I love feeling. Like that chess player in Central Park playing like five games of chess at once. Like I'm addicted to that. And so I think in that, but then when I saw that video, it like clicked for him. Like, oh, that, that makes sense. I just need, like, I need an outlet. Like I have ADD. I 
ADD. I don't watch TV. You know, I do watch movies, but, you know, I read and I've got I – I haven't been diagnosed with ADD, but I just don't sit still very well. And that was just – those two things really helped me. Like just I, – I, yeah, even now – 33 on the egg timer is yeah. huge. I mean yeah. that's not just for copywriters. That could be, you know – I, for anybody, you know, getting up from their desk and but that's you know, there's a there's something yeah. called the Pomodoro technique, and that's even some of the best productivity uh, experts in the world. They recommend, and this is what I do: dividing your day into 30 minute blocks. And the Pomodoro, you set it for 25 minutes, and it goes off, and then you get a five minute break. And for that 25 minutes, your phone's off, everything's off. You're only doing or trying to do that one thing. And yeah, you might blank out, stare at the wall. You might be like drooling, and but you just that's like, and that's just the best way to just avoid distractions. And I just found that that just liberated my 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 liberated me from just having to feel like I have to put in an 18 hour day to get progress because I would realize that look I only got so many pomodoros in me today and you know and like it just gave me freedom to to be okay with and just be real about what you can get get accomplished I mean again for the people listening to this you know you can read all these experts books but I highly recommend you get this book that that Brian and Craig have put together um, and just even having experienced Brian as well. I mean, one of the things that made Titan so phenomenal, Brian, was that like you had special gifts for the females in the room, the female marketers. You had special gifts for the list builders in the room. You guys got feedback, and like people were like, "There's something about the food." And all of a sudden, not only was it great food, but it was like the healthiest, most up to date food. On pre- I mean, I was so impressed by that because I mean, it's funny that Instant Improvement was the name of Eugene Schwartz's book. That 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 whole event, it was like instant improvement the whole way through and it really showed the way you do business and how responsive you are to really taking care of client like just the it just yeah i'm, I'm gonna stop well, that i feel like I'm, i mean now think about it that was a list so i had a list of 350 people who uh, in real time i was trying to please i was trying to make sure and actually that that women thing was a tough one because all the speakers were men because yeah. the the event was a tribute to Marty Edelston, who was the founder of Boardroom, mm-hmm. and all the people that helped Boardroom in their early days just happened to be men. There weren't that many women. There were two women that were very helpful to us in our early days, but they were both they, they had both passed. So what I did was, as you recall, um, one was Joan Throckmorton, who was an amazing copywriter. The other was Rose Harper, who was a list expert. And I, I found... Um, out of print copies of their classic books, and that's what I gave out to the female Which copywriters so and marketers in the audience. Because yeah. I was feeling bad. I mean, I was feeling bad that we didn't have any female speakers because it wasn't an event that a female speaker would have been a fit. Because I'm no chauvinist. I mean, all of my staff at Boardroom, my my coworkers, everybody. I mean, mostly women. Um, so that was a tough one for me. And so I'm glad you brought that up. But again, the, I think the key point is like. That was a list of 350 people, and you're always serving your list. You're always serving, you know, and I had VIPs. You were a VIP yeah. at the event. Yeah. So you, you know, were given different things, and I had to treat you a little bit differently because you spent more money. Yeah. Yeah. I just, it's, yeah, just, Brian, just use an example. Like, uh, guys, you need to get on Brian's list just to observe, like, 35 years of experience of doing this at, like, the, the highest tier. I mean, it was just, it, Brian, it was just so impressive because you would acknowledge it. And it talked about the entering the conversation in people's minds. Like, because the women, they probably were thinking that, like, oh, there's only men up there. Yeah. But you're so empathetic. And most events, they don't have a clue. They're like, I'm going to teach this, this, this. and th-. But not only were you considering, like, like, what do people need to learn? 
who are the titans of the industry, but you were so focused on the attend. It was just so impress. It was so impressive. Well, it, it was, was funny. I think I opened my speech with something like the things you don't think I know that I know. Like it was almost like, <laughs> like one of them, the event was on nine 11. Um, yeah. so I wanted to acknowledge nine 11. Um, you know, and I also talked about how Marty and I dealt with nine 11, uh, which was close to us. Cause we, you know, we were, we were working, um, we weren't in New York city at the time we were in the New York metropolitan area and we used to be in New York city. I, I mentioned the women thing. I mentioned, you know, people had told me that the sales letter for the event was too long. And all I did was, and then I was able to talk about, you know, no sales letter is too long or too short, just too boring. And it got, you know, 350 people at an average of, you know, $3,000 plus to come to a live event. So the letter might've been too long for some, but not for everybody. Um, so things like that, I think are very important. You know, when you're writing copy, you know, calling the elephant in the room, I call it calling the moose on the table, um, is just critically important in the way you write copy, in the way that you address an audience. And I'm not saying I did it perfectly or I do it perfectly, but I'm conscious of all those things based on my marketing experience. Yeah, and so congruent with it. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm going to try to, I mean, I know we're kind of reaching top of the hour, but I really want to pick your brain just about one other topic before we write. First of all, what's the URL for the book again? It's The Legends Book, L-E-G, wait, how do you spell it's, it? Yeah, so it's, it's T-H-E-L-E-G-E-N-D-S, B-O-O-K.com, thelegendsbook.com. Okay, go to uh, that. And if people get want to get book. on my list, yeah. um, it's, it's briankurtz.me, which I think you might have mentioned yeah. in my B-R-I-A-N-K-U-R-T-Z intro. B-R-I-A-N-K-U-R-T-Z or Z.me. Guys, go get on his list. Go get that book. Part with the 20 bucks. I mean, just just do it. Just It's just such a good investment. It's such a good Thank investment. You. So, Thanks, Bri- Yeah, no, it. we should be thanking you, Brian, for honestly. For, I mean, you say marketing's not evil. This is a great example of marketing. At a, I mean, I know that I could send you. I could send you my grandma, and not only would you tend to her, you probably find out what medication she's on and and the herbal versions of it, because what she's taken too strong. Like you would just, it's just, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like the type of thing you did. So, but I want to pick your brain about one other thing because I do know it's it's a it's a no, I wouldn't say a hot topic, but it's definitely a pain point for a lot of people listening to this, and I think you can really speak to it just because the I power method and that, and that's building and working with a team and 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 as an entrepreneur, especially as someone who may struggle with that, being the visionary or, you know, and, and just in general, having walked in and out of so many different companies, you guys have had so many different consultants. You've obviously over 34 years, you've had, had to put a lot of different groups of people together. Can you speak to maybe some of the biggest challenges that you've had with teams and how you addressed it? So I, I will mention iPower because that was the invention of Marty Edelston, who basically was so, uh, uh, he, was a, he was a big student of Kaizen and Japanese management in the, mostly in the 1980s. And he developed, he went to visit Peter Drucker, uh, who was the great management consultant. And he was sitting with Peter Drucker and he basically said, you know, Peter, the meetings in my company stink. I mean, we have meetings, we don't have objectives, we don't, we come out of the meeting with Fewer, too many ideas that we can implement or not enough, you know, uh, focus and next steps and action plans. So what what Drucker and Marty came up with just in conversation was this idea called iPower. And what it did was it, it forced everybody to come to every meeting with two ideas, no matter how small. And I think so one of the big things from that, without getting into more detail on it, 
um, is that I, I think the key is that you've got to you know work into all of your employees' mentality that they have a stake. And you got to treat them like they have a stake too. You can't just pay lip service to it. So they, you know, you have to let them bring ideas to meetings. You have to let those ideas kind of, kind of um, percolate to the top. They have to be um, uh, looked at, analyzed, um, and in in many cases acted on. So I mean, some in the book I Power that that Marty wrote, you know, he talks about people at the lowest level of the company coming up with ideas that saved the company hundreds of thousands of dollars because they were in the front lines coming up with things that no one at the top could ever come up with, but they were encouraged to bring those ideas and they were given cash awards for it and all of that. So that's one thing that, you know, is, is important. Mm. I think, you know, there's no, I mean, I look, you can study all the books on, I'm not an HR expert. I'm not a team building expert per se, but I, but I have built good teams. And I think that it's, I, I wrote a blog post once, you know, who is your rainmaker? And I think it's about because I've seen this through on through dealing with a lot of entrepreneurs that most entrepreneurs are very reluctant to have a second rainmaker in their organization that they're you know they're you know they never met an idea they didn't like as long as it was their idea and so you know I think that paying lip service to I'm listening to everybody's idea but then ignoring them you know is just not a great a great prescription for long-term growth. Now, some people get away with it. They're just such visionaries and such rainmakers that no one can, you know, everyone pales compared to them in terms of bringing new ideas forward. But I will say that you got to leave room for possible, and, and I was lucky because Marty, got to leave room for that second rainmaker. Marty left room for me to be a second rainmaker. I was privileged in that respect. So I could bring ideas forward and Marty would actually be, you know, interested in what I had to say. Not always. You know, a lot of times he would just nix them. Um, but <laughs> I do think that, you know, you got to have a forum for people to bring those ideas forward. Mm -hmm. I mean, so I don't know. I mean, those are probably some quick things that popped into my head as you were asking the question. It's a it's a it's a longer discussion, but um, people have to feel like they have a stake if they're just. You know, if it's just a paycheck, they're not going to bring – they're not going to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, if they're just passing through. You know, and there is a, a – I, uh, I wish I had the, done the research for the call. I usually like to look this stuff up. But there was actually research done on this and companies – it was like – maybe did you write – I don't even know if you wrote about this, but no, no. I've, I've read this somewhere and multiple times that companies that have an employee like you will retire with us mentality and how they treat people and even move people around and pay for training when someone doesn't fit in or isn't performing well to like care about them as an individual and be like, look, how do we support you and get you to be like better functioning? Like what role do you need? What, you know, let's do this test and figure out what type of stuff you like instead of just churn and burn, they actually outperformed. It was like an analysis of like the fortune 1000 or something. And it was like the ones that had that mentality just by far, it was very statistically significant, had a higher success rate than the ones that were kind of churn and burn because it was like all hands on deck. Anytime the economy went south or something like that, it was all hands on deck to keep it afloat because everyone had bought, had a buy in. Everyone was being taken care of. And you hear about that with like Google and that and these, you know, these new tech companies that want to have really employee like friendly environments. So what you mentioned about trying to like, I just think that as far as 
hours to just pull some out of your butt in two seconds is a really great, I mean, that's just a great action item. Everyone listen to this. Again, if you're right, taking notes, write this down. First, write down thelegendsbook.com and go there and buy the damn book. But aside from that, write down, from now on, my company doesn't churn and burn staff. We invest in our people and everyone needs to come to every meeting with at least two ideas and we reward them for the ideas that get implemented. And ideas don't just get presented and forgotten about. You might even need to pay someone for a few hours to take the ideas and put them through some sort of, you know, rigmarole or some sort of, you know, kind of battery test before they get implemented. But to make that part of the culture, everyone's showing up. How do we make this company better? How do we, and who are we serving? I mean, that was such a great, I love putting reminders on my phone. Brian, I'm going to be thinking of you every day because I'm going to add this to my, one of my, I have some reminders that pop up on my phone every day. You're always serving your list. I mean, I love that's, that's, you're always serving your list. So between that, I'll do, I'll I'll do do something. I, I, this is not like a fast bonus or anything like that. But I do have copies of this iPower book, which is tremendous. You know, the mm, two ideas. Mm, and mm. Um, I don't have a lot of them. But, you know, your audience is an audience. I think that they would love it if they do it. So, you know, maybe, um, I don't know, the first, uh, what, tw- I don't have that many copies in inventory. But maybe the first 20 people who, you know, go to thelegendsbook.com and then send me an email at Brian, at, at, at uh Brian at BrianKurtz.me, and they say to me that I bought your book, and I, you know, basically, maybe they just put Daryl, put Daryl in the uh, subject line, and then you know that means they bought the book um, and send me their mailing address. I'll send them a copy of the iPower book. That's awesome. Yeah, Brian, thank you so much. Yeah, that's again, guys, this is a great example of why. Just get on his list. Like, just go get on his list. If the information isn't world class, you're going to be treated world class, and. Um, Brian, it's just an honor and a pleasure to have you here. It always is. Every time we talk, I mean, there's no reason why, uh, or it's no surprise why people just hang on your every word. Um, and I appreciate that you're so humble too as well. And it's just an honor and a pleasure to be able to grow and, and be so early in both of our careers because we've got, you know, I just, that's one of the things that I've loved. I mean, 33 now, and I've just loved like, like, like evolving as I grow. And I'm just really excited. Yeah. You are one of the people that I'm really excited about growing alongside. And even my listeners, they should be really excited as well. This won't be the last well, time you're on our show, but thank you for you're, your time. You're always, you're always too kind, too generous. Um, and the fact that, you know, you're, you're, you know, I'm, I'm on like the second 34 year journey now, but it's all just so exciting. And I'm amazed at what you've accomplished at such a young age as well. So, you know, keep up the amazing work. I mean, it's just, uh, I was so happy that you said yes, that I could be on your show a second time. That's awesome. Brian, thank you so much. All the best to you and your loved ones and your players and your, your goal of being a little league, uh, umpire at the championship games. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the, the World Series just took place, so one more year I didn't make it, but I'll try again next year. Well, yeah, you're one step closer, right? Every no is one step closer to a yes, so. I guess, um, I guess that's right. If you I need votes or something, like if you need people to sign a petition, let me nah, we'll, we'll it's, it's all political. Nah, um, no one can help me except myself on this one. Got it, okay, okay. Well, we're rooting for you, Brian. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You've reached the end of our interview. Now first, let me thank you for listening. I appreciate and respect you more than you'll ever know. And now I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. First, what three lessons did you just learn? What three aha moments just jumped out at you? Second, what can you implement for yourself and your business in the next 24 hours? Third, 
what can you give to someone else to help you with or give them to just do it for you? Whatever it is, remember taking action is the secret sauce to results. Now, if you think this interview would be helpful for a friend, please give them a link to it. It'll help them and it'll help me too. I'd also like to invite you to help me find out more about the challenges you're facing, your dreams, your goals, and how I can help you overcome what's holding you back. We both do better when we know better, and your success is my success. So please reach out and interact. You can visit our website, bestbusinesscoach.ca for Canada or California, where I'm from and where I'm living. You're welcome to also try out one of our paid programs. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, and pretty much every other social media channel you can think of. You should also subscribe to the podcast. And if you're enjoying them, please leave us a nice review. It really helps. That's all for now. Once again, thank you. Take care of yourself. And remember, the world needs the best business you can build. And I believe in you.